We want to make sure we're not mining our soil. We want to at least be maintaining, if not increasing our soil levels a little bit. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey everyone, Tyler here, field agronomist with The Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. I hope that you're having a great day and we thank you for tuning into our podcast. Now on today's episode, we wanted to stir the soil, so to speak, and discuss, you know, what questions do you need to ask before you apply dry broadcast this fall? Now, to help me answer those questions, we welcome back to the show a long time, a better way to farm agronomist slash consultant, a great friend of yours, your farms, and of mine, Mr. Preston Groby. Mr. Preston, how are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is one of those things that, you know, you and I get the pleasure of going around to these fundamentals of agronomy and, and you know, we get to talk with our clients about efficiencies and all this stuff. You know, we kind of know the backstory about you know, why you, you want to question that dry broadcast spread. Even I at the co-op level, when I first started out, you know, started to question it and then just told, basically just told, Hey, shut up and sell it and get to moving. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's like, uh, okay, whatever. It's no big deal. You know, I got to earn a paycheck. So I'll just, you know, do what I'm told headmaster agronomist. <laughs> and not sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know back, you know, back then I didn't know any better. So, you know, even with that four year education out of Iowa state still led me down that path, which is no big deal. But today, when we ask about those questions about dry broadcast, you know, we were kind of brainstorming earlier about some of these things. And the first thing that I really wanted to bring up, because we talked about this the other day when we were talking about soil sampling, we, we talk about this all the time, you know, whether it's our clients or whether it's between us or whoever, but it really starts with the soil sample itself, right? You've got to have that base foundation. And the biggest thing that worries me is that there's a lot of growers out there that they probably don't listen to this podcast that don't soil sample at all. And they just say, yep, you know, to the co-op guy, hey, just, you know, whatever. I got to spend, you know, 200 bucks an acre on fertilizer. So here's 200 bucks and, and just go make it work. But what would you say about the soil sampling and kind of some of those results that you're getting back. What what are your thoughts on that and how guys can kind of start there? Sure. So we often talk about at the program, we talk about how if you want to go somewhere, you got to have a destination. Yeah. So to me, that's your yield goal. And when you plug that into your phone, your phone figures out your destination. And then it also figures out where your origin is. And so your origin and what we're talking about today is your soil levels. So your soil levels is your origin and your yield goal is your destination. And the recommendations is your roadmap on how to get there. So because my fields in Southwest Iowa are a lot different than my guys out in Pennsylvania or a Mm -hmm. lot different guys in North Dakota or a lot different than your guys in Ohio. So they're going to be different. There's no blanket recommendation that's good for every acre. We're doing prescriptions on a field by field basis. With all that being said, you know, is there an acre in one of your fields that is less important to you? Is there a field that you farm that you don't want to make as much money on? No. I don't think so. (laughs) You want to make more money on every acre and utilize it to the best of its ability. And so the only way to do that is to get a prescription on a field-by-field basis and soil test every acre every year for three years because we want to create those trend lines. 
We want to make sure we're not mining our soil. We want to at least be maintaining, if not increasing, our soil levels a little bit. And the only way to figure that out is to do a trend. And a trend takes three. And if you wait three to four years to do sampling again, you're up to, you know, nine to 12 years before you get a trend line. A lot happens in nine years. Yes, it absolutely does. You know, and that's another thing that, you know, you brought up something that I always find interesting Again, back in my time at the co-op, you know, that was basically the sales pitch was, do you want the the maintenance program or do you want the build program? Yeah. And one of the things that we do is that we can build a soil test. We've both seen it. We know several people that have done it, but we don't do that by over applying or overspending on fertilizer. What How we do that is by applying literally the four R's. I talk about this all the time, but make sure that you're using the right product at the right rate, you know, the, in the right time, the right source of that product. And we're going to get into the source of the product here in a little bit. When you're doing things the right way, the soil will naturally build itself, right? Plant health increases, you get bigger plants, you get more biological activity. The whole thing works together in a system. And it's not just this one product or two product thing that you can just dump out there and, and away you go. You know, I, a quick little side note, I had a discussion on a social media platform. I was going to say the name of it, uh, Twitter, but a guy asked about, oh man, the ground's going to get cold and, you know, then they're going to cancel my uh, anhydrous ammonia contracts and and then it's just the price is going to skyrocket. And I so I just tweeted back <laughs> and said, why maybe look at spring UAN, you know, and split apply it, because ultimately, why does it matter the price you pay per ton if the cost of that nutrient is actually it actually goes down? So basically, my point was, if you can lower your cost of N per bushel produced. Why does it matter what you're playing, paying per ton? Then he, he responded back and, he, you know, basically likes anhydrous and wants to stick with it, which is everybody's prerogative. They can do what they want. But I always find that interesting that if you want to make things more efficient, we've got to figure out, you know, how to do it. And that's kind of the, I know we're kind of going off on tangents, but that's kind of the gist of today's episode, right? Is, is some of these questions that you need to ask yourself, why are you doing this? So, you know, why are you dry broadcasting? And is there, you know, are there things that you can do to make that stuff more efficient? So when we talk about efficiency, talk a little bit about the ROI or like the return on investment. So it's hilarious to me because, um, you know, we talk about return on investment and people say, okay, show me some yield trials of, of using your product versus not. And I say, oh, Okay, we can absolutely do that. We have mountains of data over 30 years that we can show you with that. But then I want to ask you the question, you know, do you have that kind of data with what you're currently doing? You know, if you're doing a dry broadcast (laughs) spread and that's what you've been doing, did you ever get data from your retailer on what it is of the dry broadcast versus what it is not doing that? I mean, is that, that something that you did? I've never seen any type of data like that. Have you? Yeah. What I can tell you, because I've had this conversation more this fall than probably ever before, but we always have these conversations. Well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this much and I'm spending that much money in fertilizer, but my neighbor, I know he doesn't spread any fertilizer at all. And he still raises the same crop. That should be red flag. Number one, that when you know, the neighbor is doing just as good as you are and you're dumping all this money into what you think is the right way it's probably not the right way. And you need to sit down and rethink what you're doing. And a lot of guys don't do that. They just keep, you know, Oh, it'll, you know, it'll work itself out in the future. And that's generally not necessarily the case. 
And how many times have you and I sat down with somebody and looked at their dry spread budget and taken those same dollars and used them in our system? And besides having the P and the K and the S and the micronutrients and the plant growth regulators and all the other stuff in there to boost their yields even more and spent less dollars right. per acre. Happens all the time. Yes. Every single time. And when you, and again, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but when you break it down into pound for pound, what's going out there in a dry broadcast compared to what we do with the A Better Way to Farm team. Yeah, we recommend, you know, we, we talked about ideals the other day. So if a, if a client comes to us and says, hey, you know, what ideal scenario, you tell me what to do. We're going to recommend a liquid system 100% of the time, include some foliar feeding and stuff like that. But that's because of what you just said. We can take that same dollar, $100, $150, $200 per acre that you're spending on your P and your K and maybe a little bit of elemental sulfur or something like that. And we're going to take that money and we're going to turn it into a complete program and a complete system that makes this whole thing work. And that kind of goes into the next kind of the thing that you need to think about. And one of the next topics that we wanted to discuss was uh, when you're spreading that, that stuff out there, how is the plant actually taking it up? I know that that you always say all the time and in, in the notes, it even says, you know, do plants, you know, the roots have teeth, you know, so, so how do they, they take that up? So kind of explain a little bit about the differences between that liquid and that dry broadcast uh, that growers might be using. Yeah. So, you know, if you do some research and do some reading, it talks about your dry spread and, and, you know, what would you say is a typical dry spread recommendation? 200 pounds, 150 pounds. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say 200 pounds. So if you're spreading 200 pounds and if you take the top three inches of a soil profile, typically three inches in an acre, 43,560 square feet is a million pounds of soil. If you take a six inch sample, that's 2 million pounds of soil. So you're mixing 200 pounds of dry broadcast with 2 million pounds of soil. Your plant roots only intercept two to 3% of the soil profile. They don't have sensors. They're not smart. They can't go out there and find those nutrients. You know, they're looking for poor space and moisture. Yep. And like I said, they don't have teeth, so they can't eat it. So that's got to be broken down, you know, by mother nature and by the elements and by your soil microbiology and turned into a form that is able to be taken up into the roots of the plant. And what is that form? So like on the phosphate form, it's orthophosphate, right? So that's one of the things that we bring up. You know, if you're out there spreading MAP or DAP, you know, it's either monoammonium phosphate or diammonium phosphate, but it's not in the correct form. You you know, that's why I brought up elemental sulfur. Elemental sulfur is not the right form to go into the plant. So that phosphate needs to be broken down and it needs to be converted to an orthophosphate form so that it can be taken up into the plant. One of the things that that I found was interesting was something that you just brought up in regards to how many pounds of this product or whatever does it take to actually get into the plant. Now I say that because a lot of the times when we're at those two day fundamentals of agronomy classes, you know, we talk about those different forms that are plant available, how they get into the plant. But a lot of people are like, well, you know, where's the science? Where's the data? You know, it's, it's just you guys that are talking about this. And so last year I put up kind of a little slide that I pulled from a company. It's CHS. And I don't know if anybody has ever heard of Central Harvest States, 
but they are one of the largest co-ops in the United States. They do a ton of stuff. It used to be Lando Lakes back in the day. I know that, that I actually worked for them when I worked at the co-op. It was Winfield Solutions. But they came out and said, you know, they're a huge, huge reseller of dry fertilizer. And they came out with yeah, this brand new product. I'm not going to read the name because it doesn't matter. But a couple of the key talking points they had in their brochure. And the point that I'm trying to make is that one of the things they said was that more than 50% of production acres are phosphorus deficient. And I think that that's one thing we would agree on that, you know, when we look at soil tests, a lot of them are, you know, we look at P1 and, and P2 values. When we look at those values, there are a significant amount that are, you know, kind of in the middle or even on the low side, but we know what it takes, especially in our system to change that. Now, the next talking point that they brought up, and this is what I love because our numbers aren't as aggressive as this. Ours are a little bit more conservative when we talk about what's actually available when you spread that dry broadcast program out there. But what they said is that it takes nine to 10 pounds of applied phosphorus to increase the soil test phosphorus by one pound. So if you're out there and you're needing that, everybody needs phosphorus. If you're out there, you're going to have to apply nine to 10 pounds of a product per one pound that you need to get in there. So if you want let's say 50 pounds of phosphorus to actually go into the plant that you're going to need to be applying, you know, basically 500 pounds of phosphorus. Now let's do some more math. That's phosphorus. That's not MAP. Monoammonium phosphate is 50%, a little bit more than 50% of phosphorus. So now you take that 500 pounds and technically you really should be applying about a thousand pounds of MAP so that you can get enough into that plant. And that's the crazy thing. And then it still has to be converted from that monoammonium phosphate or diammonium phosphate. It still has to be converted into an orthophosphate form so they can be taken up into the plant. And that man is absolutely huge. When you look at how to maximize your dollar. Yeah. Everybody's having a fantastic year, but the prices of inputs aren't going down. Are they? No. <laughs> so we still need to be efficient and we still need to look at, you know, what it's going to take to make sure that every dollar you're spending, you know, I brought up kind of a hundred or 150 or $200 in fertilizer. Well, this year, maybe it's going to be more than that. Maybe it's going to be, you know, 250 to $300, but we need to make sure that when we take that money that we're spending it the right way. Now, when we look at kind of how I, I guess I, I want to stay along those kind of those lines, but I want you to kind of explain it into kind of your own words. When you're going out there and you're putting down that two or 300 pounds of dry broadcast, you're not getting that year one. What does that actually look like as far as kind of this return, this kind of this payback from this one year of fertilizer? How long does it actually take to get that money back out of that fertilizer that you put down, you know, maybe you're renting the ground, I guess that'd be kind of the the situation, right? You're renting ground and you're dumping on, you know, a lot of people already know lime. It takes some time, but what about, you know, some of these other dry broadcast fertilizers? So if you listen to our podcast for a while or watch, followed us on Facebook for a while, you probably heard Rod talk about this. Um, the, the handbook from the fertilizer handbook from the dry fertilizer Institute, mm-hmm. he has, three copies of it now, I believe. And one is his and the other two he's going to leave to his children. 
if you read that, it talks about in the dry fertilizer handbook, it talks about how you only get 20% return the first year, Yep, 20%. And then you get 1% every year thereafter. So congratulations. It only takes 81 years to get your pay. <laughs> how many of us are going to be able to say that we've successfully farmed for 81 years or even just farmed for 81 years? So think about that for a while. 81 years. Yeah. Just on that one year spread. And there's a a lot of guys will will say to us, okay, so, so you're telling me that I have to fertilize every year for every crop. And it's like, well, yeah. Why would you not? Do you take a year off from eating because you ate two years worth of food the year before? I don't think so. (laughs) To me, it always astonishes me. And and again, those are even the questions that I asked back when I was at the co-op and people would do a two year spread. Well, I'm going to do a two-year spread. Okay, well, what happens when you hit 400 bushel corn this year? You think that the fertilizer that you put out there for your beans for the following year is still going to be there? Highly unlikely. Highly. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Now, when you go out there, because now that we know it takes a 1,000 pounds or more of MAP to apply, so everybody's going to go out there and they're going to throw out a 1,000 pounds of MAP, 1,000 pounds of potash. Oh, that's another story. We didn't even get on the Yeah, could you imagine the potash side up? We're taking up plenty of time here, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but anybody that knows anything about, I was going to call it potassium chloride because that's what it is, but potash, that's what it is. It's basically like your table salt, so that's sodium chloride, right? So again, I I didn't eat breakfast. I only had coffee, so I'm obviously hungry. I keep talking about food. So when you take that salt out there, it's obviously salty, right? You put too much on your steak or your potato or whatever, and you're going to get that burning effect. And not a lot of people go out there and just take the lid off the container of salt and dump a pound and a half of salt on their steak. So why would you do that out there in your soil? When that potassium breaks apart from that chloride, that's exactly what goes on. So you mean the state department's not out there later today spraying potassium chloride on the highways to make the grass grow greener in the spring? I don't think so. So is there potassium chloride on the, on the road? Does that affect anything else like the road at surface itself, or maybe your vehicle or any of that (laughs) might be slightly corrosive and has a burning effect on the ice. Yeah. 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 So let's put a thousand pounds out there because we know that that's what it takes to raise a corn crop. (laughs) Now, That actually leads into the kind of the next point that I wanted to talk about when you're thinking about spreading this dry broadcast program. We have been very blessed almost everywhere. There's been a couple places, some of the clients that we have have gotten some snow, but right now, well, it's getting colder. It was actually the warmest today at midnight. (laughs) It keeps getting colder. But we've been blessed. We we don't our ground's not frozen yet. We don't have any snow cover or anything like that. So one of the things, and I hate to admit that I used to say it, but I hear it all the time. Oh, it doesn't matter if there's snow on the ground or the ground's frozen because it's just salt we're spreading. So when we dump on this dry broadcast program, it's going to burn itself through the snow and the ice, and it's going to get into the soil. And that's where it starts to melt. <laughs> so those are some pretty big buzzwords that I remember saying and, and that I hear all the time. But what are your thoughts on on that when guys are going out and they're spreading in the snow and they're spreading on frozen ground? What are you thinking? So a couple of years ago, we had one of our buddies out in Nebraska 
that was asking that same question. He's not my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he's a corn husker, you know, we still like him. <laughs> but anyway, so so they had actually had a, a pretty good snowfall event. I believe they had, you know, six or eight inches of snow on the ground. And the guys, neighbors went out and had their dry fertilizer spread. And then it continued to snow over the winter and accumulate. Mm-hmm. And so they had probably 18 inches to 24 inches of snow on the ground come spring. And that spring, they were asking those questions, you know, what happens to that dry P and K when they spread it out there? And just like you said, you know, they said, oh, well, it'll burn its way in there. And so come spring, they had a very warm rain event that melted that snow. And I think it was 36 hours. Yeah. All of that snow. And so it created a lot of washing. And so then some sampling was done after that event and that dry PMK did not stick around. It ended up down in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. And then everybody sits there and complains because the government's trying to step in and do some things, you know, about this. I think it's called the hypoxia zone in the Gulf, you know, where all this stuff dumps out in the Delta region of Louisiana. Everyone you know, says, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not me. It's not me. Well, unfortunately, it's a lot of us. And that's another reason I know that we're both here on the A Better Way to Farm team. I mean, you're a farmer yourself. I do have some sweet corn and I do use the system on our sweet corn, which is fantastic, by the way. But that's because we believe in a philosophy that says, look, we don't have to go out there and apply more. We need to be efficient with what we're using so that it only goes up into the plant. And it's not, you know, waiting around for the next year or waiting around for a a heavy uh, rain or freeze event that's going to flush it down into the river anyway. You know, that's not very efficient with your fertilizer dollar. And that's one of the slides that we show at that fundamentals of agronomy program is, is kind of the, the tile line going out to the river, you know, and all the money that gets flushed down that tile line because we're over applying products like nitrogen that we don't need to be over applying. You know, I had the pleasure of talking with the reeds from central Nebraska recently. I was out there soil sampling for them and they were absolutely elated that their nitrogen right now. So they had a drought just like everybody else. So the pivot corners were absolutely horrendous to the point where they don't plant a lot of the pivot corners because, you know, if they don't have a a walking pivot, they can reach out there. They just burn up anyway. Their whole farm average on their nitrogen per bushel produced was 0.68, which is is fantastic for somebody that's got, I'm going to call them marginal CECs. You know, they're 12 to 15, which is not bad. You know, we'd all love to have 20 or a 22 would be fantastic. But anytime that you can get that low, we all know that nitrogen leaches. So to be able to split apply and to do it the right way and to get down to a nitrogen use efficiency rate of that is just absolutely critical. And so I've, I've got to give kudos to them. But as we kind of wrap up this episode, Preston, what kind of advice do you have for those that are tuning in today? So I guess my biggest advice is, you know, we need to be efficient with everything we do. Efficiency is huge. We talk about lowest investment per bushel management, not per acre, because if you, you saved all this money per acre and you didn't raise any crop, well, that's not. That's not a win. Right. So we need uh, lowest investment per bushel management. And so we need to be efficient with everything we do, especially our nutrients. I don't want you to over apply or under apply anything. 
there's a deficiency level with nutrients. There's also a toxicity level with nutrients. Rod did an episode a while back and talked about nitrogen and a lot of diseases that are actually caused by an over-application of nitrogen. Yep. Um, I've got a picture on my phone in my test plot where I did an over-application of um, some nitrogen and it smoked to the corn plants. They, you know, they didn't grow you know, 14 years. It killed them. Yep. Um, so over-application can be very toxic. And so we need to apply exactly what is needed um, for that crop based on our soil levels and based on our yield goals. So take a soil test, work with the person from a better way to farm that's, that's helping you out and figure out your game plan and be efficient with everything you do. 100%. That's fantastic advice. And I am going to throw a quick little plug in as we're getting harvest wrapped up here in a matter of weeks, we're going to be starting that pro ag circuit and, and we are going to be in a city near you. I guarantee it in the next three to four months. So please, 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 if you haven't already reach out to the team, it's super simple to jump on a social media platform and find us, you know, obviously the main thing is, you know, the Facebook page, TikTok is a, is a huge thing. You'll find a lot of us there and the other forms of social media. So reach out to us, get going. If you are a current client and you're listening to this, get registered for the next event. Preston, why would they choose to go to the next event instead of the closest event? Because life happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a society today where we are so busy and with kids and with parents and life and health, um, you never know when something is going to happen. And if the one closest to you if the event closest to you winds up being in March and then something happens in March, you're going to have to wait another year until you can make it to the event. And yep. so that's why we always talk about the next event is the best event. Yep. And so the next event is Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So I highly encourage you to put that on your calendar and to get there. We would love to work with you and we'd love to meet you there. Yeah, absolutely. Preston, thank you very much for the time, my friend. We, uh, speaking of being busy, we both need to jump off here and get back to work, but it was a great conversation, dude. I look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks at that next pro ag. Sounds good, buddy. And thank you everyone for the love and support, not only here, but on the Facebook page and other forms of social media that I mentioned as well. We hope that you enjoyed this episode on the A Better Way to Farm podcast. And remember, like, subscribe, and even leave a review for us so that we can improve this show and bring you the best content possible. And as always, we hope that you have a better day. A better way to farm.com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.